Welcome to the RE Human Layer Security Podcast, the show that flips the script on cybersecurity. I'm Tim Sadler, the CEO and co-founder of Tessian, and in each episode, I'll be interviewing IT and business leaders about why we need to protect people, not just machines and data, to stop breaches and empower businesses to achieve their missions. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Nino Teodor, the cybersecurity officer of Huawei. Nuno joined the company in February this year, and prior to that, he was the global CISO at Trufo, and he also held information security and data privacy roles at Vodafone and Allianz Group. I'm delighted to welcome him to the show to discuss his work, his views on human layer security, and hear all of his stories. Nuno, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. To start things off, you recently joined Huawei as its security leader. I'm curious, what drew you to the role? Uh, yeah, exactly. So I've been in the company um, since February this year, so fairly recent uh, to a company of the size of Huawei. So this is a company that has almost 200,000 employees um, and it's um, uh, represented across 170 countries. Um, so I would say that the challenge that I saw um, to move myself to this role uh, was um, being on a supplier side in one of the biggest technology companies in the world, and that is innovating in so many fronts in the consumer and the, the enterprise side. Um, so, so that would be uh, th- that was one of the biggest reasons uh, for me to change, uh, and also, of course, um, being a company that is highly scrutinated in terms of cybersecurity and myself being the cybersecurity professional, um, that just represented a big challenge for myself. And professionally, I'm very motivated by these kind of challenges. So it seemed the right fit at the right time uh, for my professional career. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about some of those challenges that you've faced so far? Yes, so um, there are several challenges in companies of this size. Um, but additional challenges of companies of this size um, that um, come from China. <laughs> so uh, big companies usually take a long time to steer. Um, and this is certainly a big challenge in terms of cybersecurity and to adapt uh, to a market and to an ecosystem that is changing constantly. Uh, aside, aside from that, uh, of course, there are challenges on the geopolitical tensions where the company security and trust is challenged on a daily basis due to the country of origin. Uh, This creates a huge challenge for the cybersecurity leaders in Huawei. And for myself personally, it's very rewarding to work in a company where we can see day after day uh, the fulfillment of cybersecurity and privacy controls uh, and the challenge that we are uh, uh, placed uh, regarding the source uh, uh, of the country of origin of the company, it doesn't doesn't match with, uh, with one with the other. So that represents an additional, let's say, effort that cybersecurity leaders need to do in Huawei to really make it clear and to make it transparent on the cybersecurity controls that we put in our equipment, in our products for the end user uh, in general and for the companies that use uh, our products. So. In the end of the day, we have twice or three times um, the, the, the work in trying to demonstrate 
openly and with transparency um, that the cybersecurity is a core part of Huawei business and uh, the country of origin of the company has nothing to do with the security or the trust that our equipment, our personnel, the employees and our services have um, when we offer this to the consumer and to the enterprise in general. Are you able to maybe talk about some of the ways in which you're you know, working to, to foster that trust or create that trust? Yeah, of course. I, I can give you a very clear example. Um, well, a couple of them. The, the first one is the cybersecurity transparency centers that Huawei builds. So we have several uh, transparency centers across the world. And what we want to achieve with that um, in, in, a, in a nutshell is to give the ability of customers to go there, to inspect our source code, to see uh, the supply chain security, to see uh, the potential flaws that they want to identify uh, in the source code or the equipment, and to be very open and transparent with that. So we are not afraid of being audited, of being inspected. We have actually mm. created these centers to allow customers to go there, even with their own uh, auditing companies, independent ones, or regulators, or governments, to go to these centers and to audit them, to inspect to the lowest level of source code uh, what we are producing and what we are delivering uh, to the customers and to, to the governments. Thanks for sharing that. So you mentioned Huawei has almost 200,000 employees and millions of end users across almost 170 countries. From your perspective, what role do people play in security at Huawei? One of the most critical roles um, that, that, that we can have. Um, we make the effort of putting cybersecurity as a priority and a requirement for every business unit inside the company. So uh, to give you a, a perspective on this, my role as a cybersecurity officer is to work uh, on having the fulfillment of local uh, or, or international cybersecurity requirements, legal requirements on cybersecurity, regulatory requirements uh, on privacy, and put those requirements together into uh, our, our um, products, into the design of our products and services and basically make sure that we fulfill with everything. So it's, it's not just a matter of we think we are doing things in a proper way. We do have a very critical team uh, in terms of approaching the cybersecurity and privacy requirements that we put into the design of our products and services. And for each one of the business units inside Huawei, there is a cybersecurity risk owner um, for each one of them. So it's not only the cybersecurity team that takes care of, of cybersecurity, the marketing team has cybersecurity requirements and objectives. Uh, the uh, public uh, communications team, they have cybersecurity requirements um, and objectives. Uh, the product team, they have cybersecurity requirements and objectives. Everyone from HR, procurement, legal, uh, have cybersecurity mandatory requirements and objectives. And this is something that is enforced from the top level of the company. It's not something that comes only from the security team, it comes from the CEO itself. Uh, so Huawei is a company that really 
rights for having cybersecurity embedded into all the business units inside the company. So everyone, and taking that to your initial question, um, 200,000 people in Huawei uh, working, probably not all the 200,000 are reaching the, the same uh, level of requirements in terms of cybersecurity, but everyone is a part of the ecosystem that takes cybersecurity and privacy to the most um, uh, to the to the to the highest requirement in terms of uh, of uh, of the need of, of the company. I'm curious with that many employees, and you know, you've spoken about employees not just in the security team but in the marketing team and in so many other mm -hmm. teams. How do you take people on the journey? How do you get everybody to feel bought into this responsibility for security? So we do have several uh, governments uh, forums and we have a lot of internal actions to put everyone up to speed in terms of cybersecurity and privacy. We have, uh, let me give you an example, uh, cybersecurity and privacy committee, which basically holds uh, a meeting that puts all the business units together on a country level and then on a region level and on a global level to make sure that everyone understands the requirements uh, of the legislation, everyone understands the requirements internally of Huawei in terms of cybersecurity and privacy, everyone understands the customer requirements regarding cybersecurity and privacy. And we cascade this to all the business units, to all the account directors, to everyone inside uh, the company to make sure that the message is, is passed through and they cascade down to their own teams. So this starts on a government's uh, committee meeting and then it's cascaded down to the entire team within Huawei. And this, acts, th this starts on a local level, to the regional level, to the global level of the company to make sure that everyone is articulated uh, with the same requirements and with the same decisions uh, on, a, on a security level from the company side. Let's talk about trust. Um, you mentioned in an article that you wrote recently that there's nothing such as trust in the current digital world. I'm curious, what did you mean by that? So what I want to say with that is that um, trust is the number one thing in the digital world right now. If you think about any, anything that is digital, if you do not trust that digital environment, you will probably don't want to use it. You will, you will be a bit uh, constrained about using that digital ecosystem. And if you scale this to a company uh, like Huawei uh, and to an ecosystem where we provide uh, uh, probably uh, most of the technology in terms of telecommunications, trust is the number one thing that we need to have internally externally and to demonstrate um, to everyone. So when I say there is nothing such as trust in the digital, current digital world, is that trust should not be something that we assume it exists. It mm. should be created, it should be demonstrated, and it should be connected to what, what we call uh, a zero-trust approach in the organization, uh, especially because when we leverage concepts such as zero trust 
uh, approach in organizations, we are now able to adapt to a constant evolving threat landscape. And we are now able to consider the current cybersecurity paradigms of unknown insider and outsider malicious agents. And those agents that can disrupt operations and services, uh, even in a nationwide uh, level, uh, are a bit more manageable if we do implement these um, digital trust approaches. So when I say uh, there is nothing such as trust, is exactly uh, do not assume uh, that mm. trust exists by default, but do create the mechanisms to enforce trust and to demonstrate and verify that trust do, does exist. No, I agree. I think that's I think that's so important. I want to backtrack slightly, you mentioned the concept of zero trust, which is something different, I think, to what you were initially speaking about, which is the importance of uh, an organization uh, building trust with its, you know, its customers, its employees, and earning that. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about zero trust. So why is zero trust so important to organizations? Sure, that's exactly spot on. Um, I would say that zero trust is important to organizations because it allows us uh, to implement a model where we already assume by default that a breach or an incident has already occurred or will certainly occur. And then it makes the organizations to constantly enforce more fine-tuned risk management approaches where the goal is to take the probability factor to a near zero value in terms of risk. So if we think about uh, trust, why should you trust something, if, even if it's your internal or external ecosystem in the digital world of today. People with a security background know and have seen many times that trust can be deceiving. So we can pretty much make things appear differently uh, of what they are. So by applying a zero trust model, we are able to uh, really understand and make uh, a decision on what we should trust and what we should do uh, with internal and external uh, agents. You will never uh, fully trust a connection that is reaching uh, your data center just because it says it comes from a trustworthy um, uh, uh, asset. You should never trust that someone will access, access a server um, and they will behave properly because they are an employee of the company. You should never trust uh, as a customer that a supplier is putting an appliance inside your network and, it, and the appliance will do only what it's supposed to do and nothing else um, just because the supplier uh, has a very good reputation. And on the opposite, you should not, not trust uh, a supplier just because it doesn't have a very good reputation. Trust and zero trust uh, paradigms should be uh, the paramount of today's digital world. And that's why uh, in Huawei, not only Huawei, but Huawei, we do implement what we call the ABC, which is the assume nothing, believe nobody, and check everything, which is our zero trust approach uh, within the company. And we do have strict policies with regards to the execution of any action. And we do believe that trust needs to be based on facts, Facts must be verifiable and verification must be based on common standards. And that's why Huawei believes that this is an important model for building trust in the digital era. 
Yeah, and it seems like trust is again just so core to to the company and the mission. It's interesting to talk about these concepts of trust from the kind of consumer perspective, and then trust uh, from the internal perspective of the security team. What is your philosophy here? What are you saying to people? I mean, it sounds like you're saying that you know trust needs to be earned and. Everybody has a responsibility, whether it's a consumer, you know, choosing to buy a product, or whether it's a security team that are evaluating a um, an event or an incident. You're saying you've got to do the work. You've actually got to. You you can't just take things at face value and default trust them. And and if that's the case, what advice do you have for for people? What should they be thinking about in terms of how you know they verify whether they can actually trust something or not? I think that's a very good and difficult question, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, the, the, the problem is that trust is something that um, usually is more psychological than anything else. Of course, you do have facts, you do have um, uh, the, cap- the capability to check and to inspect something that will probably bind uh, uh, your trust to some principles. Um, but in the end of the day, trust for the consumer side, um, it's something that it's, that, that it's uh, um, by default associated to a preconceived idea that they have of something. So when assessing trust towards an equipment, a company, uh, a wearable, something uh, that is going to be bought by, uh, by, a, by a, a supplier, well, I think it depends on the maturity of the, of the consumer itself. But if you see in the news uh, a lot of data breaches of that company, a lot of incidents of that company, that company doesn't have uh, people in charge of cybersecurity, then probably nowadays you won't trust much into the, the outputs of that, that company in terms of security and privacy. And this is where I was, I was going to go next. So I think we've spoken about this throughout the, the podcast today and our conversation. But questions around trust and Huawei dominate the news right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in response to this, you recently blogged and said that fear, uncertainty and doubt, or FUD, as we call it sometimes in the security space, is now one of the biggest geopolitical warfare weapons and the number one strategy against Huawei. Could you explain a little bit more about this? Yeah, of course. So, uh, like you said, and very well, FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And if you have those three words isolated, you'll have, in a very simplistic way, three of the most unwanted feelings a human being wants to have towards something. And this is exactly what I wrote in my article. If you put security to the table in a transparent and verifiable way, you'll be able to minimize the FUD because you are giving hard evidence uh, that the reality is exactly the opposite. And you can see throughout the news uh, on several uh, countries around the world um, that uh, Huawei is seen as a a potential uh, issue to national security is seen as a potential high-risk supplier, is seen as a potential source of something that is not good in terms uh, of uh, security related with the, the, the equipment that, 
and the services that we provide. And you need to think, why is that? Is there any evidence that we had a big cyber security incident? No. Is there any evidence uh, of data breaches? No. Is there any evidence in terms of are we uh, actually listening to conversations? Are we having illegitimate access to data? Are we doing something wrong in terms of what we do with our equipment and services? And the answer is always no. And that's why uh, one of the big efforts that Huawei is putting, it's precisely with what I said in the beginning of our podcast, which is the building of uh, trust through inspection and auditability. Hence, the cybersecurity transparency centers. Okay, if you say that we do have those issues, or if you uh, if you think that we pose a, a security to national a threat to national security, then come to the laboratories, bring your own teams, audit the source code, inspect uh, the packet flows, assess whatever you want to assess in terms of security and privacy and take your own conclusions. And this is why we do believe that trust needs to be based uh, in evidence. It needs to be verifiable. And this, this is what we try to do in a very simplistic way. And uh, on a more personal side, I am a cybersecurity professional. I have been working in the cybersecurity field uh, uh, pretty much my entire professional life. So. One of the things that I have seen in Huawei is that security and privacy is really taken, ser uh, taken seriously uh, inside mm -hmm. the company. Every day, we do have to report security and privacy uh, requirements. We do have to obey by the law in every each country. We are pressured every day to make things better, more secure, and to have privacy on the top of the list. Because customer, customer data uh, is always on the front row in terms of priorities. And this is something that's really, really visible uh, in the company. So I do believe that, that fear, of uncertainty and doubt is being used as, uh, uh, as a weapon against uh, a company uh, such as Huawei simply because uh, the country of origin of uh, Huawei is uh, China. This is as simple as it gets. And we often see FUD or fear, uncertainty and doubt used in security, usually to try and uh, get people to take security seriously or you know, get them to take mm -hmm. certain actions in security. How do you think the narrative around FUD and security can change? Do you think it ever will change? Well, I don't think so. I, th I think these two concepts um, will exist uh, hand in hand forever. You will always have uh, organizations, people, governments, uh, states, whatever, using FUD towards something with a certain goal in mind. And you always have security uh, um, that needs to be implemented, challenged, uh, uh, demonstrated in order to eradicate that fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So those two, uh, those two paradigms will never uh, cease to exist, and they will always go hand in hand, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's it's such a 
It's such a big challenge, and you know we've covered previously on this on this podcast about how fear appeals are so ineffective when trying to get people to change behavior in security. Um, but we've got a long way to go. And we saw this uh, play out, and this is maybe not specifically related to uh, cybersecurity, but more national security. But there was a lot of fear and uncertainty around uh, 5G, certainly last year. There was some, you know, what I think of as complete misinformation around the link between 5G and, uh, you know, the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. But what is what work is being done behind the scenes at Huawei to try and address these fears? And I think specifically, we live in an age where people there's so much information available on the internet, and it's very hard to um, it's really hard to get people to sometimes believe the truth or follow the truth. And um, so maybe tell me a bit about the work that's going on there, the challenges again that are that are that are there to overcome. Um, and what you see happening in the future with regard to this kind of misinformation? Sure, that, that, that's a very, a very good one, uh, especially because, as you know, we have seen pretty much every day uh, news or people commenting um, and relating 5G, the vaccines and pandemic, and that they are going to be uh, monitored and traced uh, because of that. To be really honest, I almost cannot say this without laughing, uh, because I don't know how this concept of 5G um, is going to be used uh, in in such a harmful way in society. Um, I, I don't know where this comes from. If people really know what 5G is all about, it's about enabling societies, making societies more proactive in terms of development, uh, enhancing the capabilities they have to do a lot more uh, for the citizens um, that that they do today. So it's really a misconception uh, from the human side that I really don't know the origin, uh, but I would like to understand a bit more and to study um, a bit more in terms of of origin and epicenter of this, um, this theory. So at Huawei, what we try to do is to collaborate with governments, uh, with the Commission, with stakeholders uh, in various spectrum, and try to support the development of security ecosystems around 5G, uh, and of course with the cooperation of everyone. Uh, this will be achieved. Uh, the European Cybersecurity Certification Group, the NIST Cooperation Group, uh, the 5G standardization, and all the stakeholders associated with these activities um, are being, of course, uh, a big part of what Huawei is, is doing, is collaborating with, and is monitoring. And why? Because it's very simple. We do want this technology to be a secure technology. We do want to make the 5G ecosystem secure. We are not afraid of uh, assessing um, what we are doing in terms of 5G. Uh, we do want to collaborate, and as a result, uh, we do want that uh, the understanding uh, and the, of the impact of 5G threats is defined and in a coordinating risk management approach, um, uh, 5G networks are created uh, in the most secure uh, possible way. Um, so the major telecom equipment providers where Huawei is, 
support, uh, for instance, in this case, the European Union to raise uh, 5G security evaluation and certification standards, strengthening the EU role and national authorities with open and transparent supervision. So it is only by creating this fairness and transparency uh, among the 5G suppliers that the world will fully benefit of these technologies. Today we've spoken a lot about Huawei and 5G. These are two huge topics, um, and I think you know two huge topics that come under a lot of scrutiny from from the public, um, from you know people asking a lot of questions again about about trust. But really, I think the underlying message here from you is that this is this applies to every single company and every single technology. You know, in 2021 and beyond, we have to be, you have to be working to earn trust and verify, uh, you know, verify trust in our organizations. What principles and philosophies do you think security teams should be taking forward with regard to trust? What role and responsibility do security professionals have in creating and sustaining that trust for their organization and also with their employees? So, security professionals need to understand that um, this is no longer a, a security uh, uh, silo uh, in, in, inside the companies, and we do need to work as a business enabler um, inside the company, and we, we need to understand the overall requirements uh, from everyone that will use the services or the product of our company. So, um, I, would, I would say that one of the first or critical things that a security professional inside a company needs to do is uh, understand the business risks that are associated with what the company is doing and be uh, an enabler of business. Um, I also believe that uh, security professionals should have a pretty solid technical background to understand everything uh, from a, a bit level and strong soft skills to be able to present from the engineering level to the board level and act as a middleware between both because most times there's a, a, a lack of communication and understanding between uh, the two parties. So pretty much a middleware that fully understands business, that knows how to communicate, that acts as an enabler of, of the, the business towards uh, a better and more secure ecosystem. That's great. Nuno, thank you so much for your time today and joining us on the podcast. We like to finish up every uh, one of our shows with some rapid fire questions to get to know the humans on the Human Layer Security podcast a little bit better. Um, so I wanted to start with what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received. So um, I would say that th there's one in particular. Um, that came from a very good friend of mine, Alexander Medarov. Uh, he's the CEO and CEO of Digital Aid, and he's a former colleague uh, of mine in Allianz, a former information security officer. Uh, and the advice is pretty simple. Don't jump to a fire to save yourself from another fire. And if he's listening to this, uh, he will know that he told me this in what we call the 666 room. <laughs> I'm intrigued. My next question is, if everything in your diary has been cleared, how do you spend the day? Okay, so um, I won't lie that uh, CISOs or, or cybersecurity leaders 
pretty much uh, don't have the diary cleared. <laughs> but um, if we do, I do try to get the best balance between spending time uh, with my family, especially my daughter, uh, to exercise and keep a healthy mind and body, um, and to read. I like to read a lot. Um, and of course, I won't lie that sometimes a good time in front of Netflix it's mind-saving. Um, usually, we are always on call, and sometimes those uh, clear brain moments in front of the TV are really, really mandatory. And you've teed me up perfectly for my third question, which is, what's the best book you've read? This one is a hard one, because I, I really like to read, and I probably have a, a, a flaw in my reading journey, which is I pretty much only read things uh, from my area, uh, my professional area. Um, but I would say that uh, one of the best books I've read was Ghost in the Wilds uh, by Kevin Mitnick. Uh, but I could show you a second one, uh, which is the, the Cyber Effect, which is uh, related with cyber psychologists um, from Mary Aiken. Those two I would highly recommend. That's great. And we'll add links to those in the show notes. Uh, Nuno, thank you again. It's been great to have you with us today. Thanks for sharing all of these lessons, all of these thoughts, and we look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. And that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more Human Layer Security Insights in our next episode. But if you can't wait that long, you can visit our blog at tessian.com forward slash blog, where you'll find lots of amazing content, advice, and tips. And if you enjoyed our show, please rate and review it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.